Father, uh, as we come today, God, uh, we are just thankful for the place that we live in, even in the change of the seasons, God. Uh, we see your hand in everything. And then also we get to know and understand as your people that you are our God and there is no other. And you've made a way uh, through your son to the heavenly realms. We look forward to that. The day will come when we can look you in the eye and be in your presence. And we just can't wait for that, God. But in the meantime, there's things that we need to do. And Lord, will you help us uh, today as we listen to this message? Phil is prepared. Uh, there's things that we need to grab a hold of, uh, each one of us different things. So speak to our hearts and minds. We ask you to do that for us. And we love you. We pray and ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. It's been a long, long time since I had given any thought to Br'er Rabbit or Br'er Fox. In fact, I spent some time trying to remember when the last time I had thought about those two really was, and I, I can't land on that date. But this past week, they captured my imagination. I had picked up a book a while back called The Briar Patch Gospel, written by a fellow named Shane Wheeler, and I was reading through it just this week. Now, based on the title of the book, I thought he would probably tell Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Fox's story, but that never happens in the midst of the book. That meant I had to go looking other places to remind myself of the, the details of the story. So I bounced all through the internet. I read several different renditions of it and, and then realized that as much as I might be familiar now with those details, you might not be because it's probably been a long time since you've heard the story. So I want to make sure we're all on the same page. You're about to hear the story of the Briar Patch. Now this is told by another author named S.E. Schlosser and it'll be read for you by Tina Alsbaugh. Give her your attention, will you? Well now, that rascal Br'er Fox hated Br'er Rabbit on account of he was always cutting capers and bossing everyone around. So Br'er Fox decided to capture and kill Br'er Rabbit if it was the last thing he ever did. He thought and he thought until he came up with a plan. He would make a tar baby. Br'er Fox went and got some tar and he mixed it with some turpentine and he sculpted it into the figure of a cute little baby. Then he stuck a hat on the tar baby and sat her in the middle of the road. Br'er Fox hid himself in the bushes near the road and he waited and waited for Br'er Rabbit to come along. At long last, he heard someone whistling and chuckling to himself and he knew that Br'er Rabbit was coming up over the hill. As he reached the top, Br'er Rabbit spotted the cute little tar baby. Br'er Rabbit was surprised. He stopped and stared at the strange creature. He had never seen anything like it before. Good morning, said Br'er Rabbit, doffing his hat. Nice weather we're having. The tar baby said nothing. Br'er Fox laid low and grinned an evil grin. Br'er Rabbit tried again. And how are you feeling this fine day? The tar baby, she said nothing. Br'er Fox grinned an evil grin and lay low in the bushes. Br'er Rabbit frowned. This strange creature was not very polite. It was beginning to make him mad. Ahem said Br'er Rabbit loudly, wondering if the tar baby were deaf. I said, how are you this morning? The tar baby said nothing. 
Br'er Fox curled up into a ball to hide his laughter. His plan was working perfectly. Are you deaf or just rude, demanded Br'er Rabbit, losing his temper. I can't stand folks that are stuck up. You take off that hat and say howdy do, or I'm going to give you such a licking. The tar baby just sat in the middle of the road, looking as cute as a button and saying nothing at all. Br'er Fox rolled over and over under the bushes, fit to bust because he didn't dare laugh out loud. I'll learn ya, Br'er Rabbit yelled. He took a swing at the cute little tar baby and his paw got stuck in the tar. Let me go or I'll hit you again, shouted Br'er Rabbit. The tar baby, she said nothing. Fine, be that way, said Br'er Rabbit, swinging at the tar baby with his free paw. Now both his paws were stuck in the tar, and Br'er Fox danced with glee behind the bushes. I'm going to kick the stuffing out of you, Br'er Rabbit said, and pounced on the tar baby with both feet. They sank deep into the tar baby. Br'er Rabbit was so furious, he headbutted the cute little creature until he was completely covered with tar and unable to move. Br'er Fox leaped out of the bushes and strolled over to Br'er Rabbit. Well, well, what have we here, he asked, grinning an evil grin. Br'er Rabbit gulped. He was stuck fast. He did some fast thinking while Br'er Fox rolled about on the road, laughing himself sick over Br'er Rabbit's dilemma. I've got you this time, Br'er Rabbit, said Br'er Fox, jumping up and shaking off the dust. You've sassed me for the very last time. Now I wonder what I should do with you. Br'er Rabbit's eyes got very large. Oh, please, Br'er Fox, whatever you do, please don't throw me into the briar patch. Maybe I should roast you over a fire and eat you, mused Br'er Fox. No, that's too much trouble. Maybe I'll hang you instead. Roast me, hang me, do whatever you please, said Br'er Rabbit. Only please, Br'er Fox, please don't throw me into the briar patch. If I'm going to hang you, I'll need some string, said Br'er Fox, and I don't have any string handy. But the stream's not far away, so maybe I'll drown you instead. Drown me, roast me, hang me, do whatever you please, said Br'er Rabbit. Only please, Br'er Fox, please don't throw me into the briar patch. The briar patch, eh, said Br'er Fox. What a wonderful idea. You'll be torn into little pieces. Grabbing up the, the tar-covered rabbit, Br'er Fox swung him around and around and then flung him head over heels into the briar patch. Br'er Rabbit let out such a scream as he fell that all of Br'er Fox's fur stood straight up. Br'er Rabbit fell into the briar bushes with a crash and a mighty thump. Then there was silence. Br'er Fox cocked one ear toward the briar patch, listening for whimpers of pain, but he heard nothing. Br'er Fox cocked the other ear toward the briar patch, listening for Br'er Rabbit's death rattle. He heard nothing. Then Br'er Fox heard someone calling his name. He turned around and looked up the hill. Br'er Rabbit was sitting on a log, combing the tar out of his fur with a wood chip and looking smug. I was bred and born in the briar patch, Br'er Fox, he called. Born and bred in the briar patch. And Br'er Rabbit skipped away as merry as a cricket, while Br'er Fox ground his teeth in rage and went home. I really like the way Schlosser brings that whole story together. I was bred and born for the briar patch. Born and bred for the briar patch. I'm about to tell you something that could take you off guard. So were you. You were bred and born in the briar patch. And then Jesus met you there. You were born and bred 
to go back into the briar patch when you were born again. That's a truth that a lot of us don't want to grab hold of. In fact, that's two truths that a lot of us don't want to grab a hold of. Yet that does not diminish the significance of them at all. You were born and bred in the briar patch, and you were born again to go back into it. Now, just so we're all on the same page, I want to make sure that we don't make any mistake on this. So let me just say, I'm not saying that when you were born and bred for the briar patch, that that means that when you came to Christ, that all of your problems were taken away. I'm not saying at all that because you are now a Christian, life is going to be smooth sailing. I'm not saying that. I'm not even saying that because you have been born again, that there are no enemies around you. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that you were born and bred in the briar patch, and Jesus met you there. And when he brought you out, you were born again to go back into the briar patch and lead others out. That's God's plan. Romans chapter 12 shows us exactly what that looks like. And if you'll open your Bibles, I'll give you a good glimpse of it. Romans chapter 12. We've been in the study of this chapter for several weeks. We're taking our time, making our way through it. We have a few more weeks to go. But the verses we're about to look at, I would call briar patch verses. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 11. The Apostle Paul writes, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. That's the briar patch. And that's the briar patch gospel. Now, if you were paying attention as we went through that, there are actually 17 points that we can call out from those few verses that we just looked at. And some of you right now are thinking, did he just say 17 points? And I did. And then some of you are thinking, if he said 17 points, does that mean that this sermon has 17 points? And let me just say, before we go any further, if I hear one amen Pharaoh, (laughs) you're on my list. And you're not getting off my list. You're on my list. There are, in fact, 17 points in this. We're not going to go through them one by one. Instead, I want to show them to you with this encouragement. If you are a highlighter or an underliner in your Bible, underline each one of these because they really do stand on their own and they have great significance. Let's take a look at the first eight. Here they are. Number one, do not be slothful in zeal, which by the way, for a lot of folks, when you read that, you'll think that doesn't apply to me because I have no idea what it means. Well, here it is in a a simple form. To not be slothful in zeal means that you need to put some energy to your faith. You need to get excited about what's going on. You need to become a zealous believer in Jesus. So don't be slothful in zeal. Don't ignore this teaching. Put energy to your faith. Number two, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Now, if we can figure out that first one, putting energy to our faith, the next seven are going to fall into line pretty quickly. 
We're going to be able to do those things because we already have the energy in our faith necessary to do that. Now, if you're really paying attention as we go through these 17 things, here's what you'll notice about the first eight. They have to do with our relationship with God. They have to do with the fact that we were born in the briar patch and he pulled us out. Briar patches are, are sticky places. They are prickly places. They are places of brokenness. They are places where we get scratched up, cut up, and torn up. Life does that to us. And Jesus finds us in the middle of those briar patches and brings us out. And as a result of that, we have the opportunity to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. You might remember, Jesus says that is the greatest commandment. These eight things help us focus on that great commandment, loving the Lord our God. Now, those are fairly easy. When we get into the next nine, it gets a bit more difficult. Because let me remind you, briar patches are sticky and prickly. They're difficult. They're places where we find relationships that are sticky and prickly and difficult. And we can get cut up and torn up by some of those relationships. Yet that does not diminish the fact that Jesus himself would say, the second greatest commandment is to love our neighbors as ourselves. So the first eight deal with loving the Lord our God. He brought us out of the briar patch, gave us a new life. But in the process of that, he loved us in such a way that we would go back into the briar patch, that sticky, prickly, difficult, sometimes painful place, and help bring other people out. These nine things help us with that. Take a look. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Associate with the lowly. That's my favorite. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. That's my least favorite. Give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Now, as you heard me say, I can look at, at number 14 and say that associating with the lowly, I love that command. That's briar patch teaching. Associate with the lowly. But I really don't like number 16. I kind of wish it could be removed from Scripture. And maybe you're like me. When somebody does something to you, you don't just want to look the other way or turn the other cheek or love them with the love that God has poured out on you. Instead, you want to get even. Maybe you want a little bit of revenge. Maybe you want a little bit of vengeance. Most of us do. Yet, Briar Patch teaching says, you can't do that. Don't repay evil with evil. You need to instead exchange that for love. You need to demonstrate the love that you received when you were in the briar patch and God found you there and brought you out, but then you were born again to go back in and love people the way the Lord loved you. That means that you have to apply all of these things because Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. That's, that's some tough stuff. Going back into the briar patch isn't easy. We would rather say that now that I am in Christ, I don't have to deal with difficult, sticky, prickly relationships. I can just move away from those and let God do what God's going to do. Well, God will do what God's going to do, but he's oftentimes going to do it through you. So you have to be willing to go back into the briar patch because you were born again for that very reason, to go lead other people out. And if you're going to put energy and zeal to your faith, this is a byproduct of it. You're going to go back in. 
It can be difficult, but the Lord goes with us. Now, it may be that you need an example of what this looks like before you can really process it. And we don't have to go any farther in the New Testament than Jesus himself to see what it looks like for us to go back into the briar patch. Keep your finger there in Romans chapter 12, but go with me to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 2. We're about to see Jesus in the middle of the briar patch, and one of the most surprising things would be the fact that he leads one of the, the apostles, the original 12, out of it. While he's there, though, he meets some really interesting folks. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is in the briar patch. Levi, Matthew, is going to come out of that briar patch and join the twelve. Just like we've come out of the briar patch because the Lord led us out through his son, that's the way he found Matthew, author of the first New Testament book. He was in the briar patch, born and bred for it. And then he was associating with other briar patch People, you want to know how we know that? Because three times in this passage, the term tax collectors and sinners is used. Three times. Now, you know who those folks are in Scripture? Tax collectors, you may very well have heard some sermons or some lessons on it, but they were not popular people. They weren't. Here's the way it worked. They were typically Jewish, and they lived in the region of Palestine. Their job was to collect taxes for the Roman government. Their allegiance was to the Romans. It wasn't to the Jews. Their allegiance was not to their home country. As a result of that, they were oftentimes seen as unpatriotic. And the way they became tax collectors, it's kind of a Ponzi scheme. They purchased the right from Caesar to collect taxes in Palestine. They paid a certain number of, or a certain amount of money to get this position. And with the position came the freedom not only to collect the taxes and send them on to Rome, but to take some extra. However much they wanted, they could declare a tax. They could skim right off of the top. Everybody did. Caesar knew that people were skimming. He knew that the tax collectors were stealing from him, but he let them do it because he was getting wealthy based on their efforts. Nobody liked a tax collector. The Jews particularly had a problem with them because they were collecting taxes not only from the Jews, but also from the Samaritans and the Gentiles, which means they were associating with unclean people. The tax collectors were seen as unclean. That's why the Pharisees and the scribes, the leaders of the Pharisees, had such a huge problem with them. They were unclean. They had associated with the wrong folks. Not only were they crooked, but they were associating with people that no self-respecting Jew would ever want to be around. So that meant that they were Matthew's friends. When he had a dinner party, it was tax collectors that were going to come because nobody else would be there. 
except maybe the sinners. And that's kind of a curious statement as well, because in our study of the Bible, we know that we're all sinners. The tax collectors were sinners. Every person is a sinner. So why is it that that title is attached to certain people? Because under the Jewish rule, and during the time that Scripture was being written, that title was given to people of very questionable morals and more often than not, questionable occupations. Usually it was attached to women, women that were just trying to survive, doing whatever was necessary. Jesus would give us a little more insight into this in the Gospel of Matthew, if you want to turn over there with me. Matthew chapter 21, verse 32. These are Jesus' words. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. The prostitutes, people of questionable morals, occupations, they were the sinners. So imagine this dinner party that Jesus is at. You got the tax collectors who have no other friends. They have to associate among themselves because nobody else will have them. You have the prostitutes there. And also counted among the sinners during that day were people that had diseases that the Pharisees believed came as a result of their sin or the sins of their parents. They were the outcasts, the dregs of humanity, the ones that everyone else looked past. Oftentimes their diseases had physical manifestations so extreme that everybody knew what their disease was. Might be leprosy, though usually they lived outside of the city and couldn't associate with anybody else. Maybe they had been maimed, maybe they were blind or mute or demon-possessed. These were the folks that were there. These are the people that were at Matthew's house. That's the briar patch. And Jesus was there eating with them, sharing a meal with them. It's actually one of the first pictures we get of the Lord's Supper. Now, we don't hear him saying, this is my body and this is my blood, not at all. But what we do get is this wonderful, beautiful picture of Jesus saying, come and sit at my table. There's a place for you. He took communion. He took the Lord's Supper. He took the whole idea of communion into the briar patch. And he sat down with these folks that nobody else would sit with. My friends, here's the deal. When we read this list of the tax collectors and the sinners, and we realize who they were, you can picture yourself right there in the midst of that briar patch. You can picture yourself sitting around that table. All the brokenness, all of the struggles, everything that, that would define that moment allows you to look at your own brokenness, all of your own struggles, all of your own sin. And you can see Jesus coming to you and saying, I want to bring you out of here. That's all part of those first eight things that we read in Romans chapter 12. That's how God loved us and so we'll love him the same way. We'll just go back into that same relationship. But you cannot, you cannot, you cannot stop there. Because you were born again to go back into that briar patch and help bring others out. Now, I don't want you to believe me on that. I want you to trust the Bible. So let's go to the book of 1 John together. The first letter of John. Chapter 4, starting in verse 7. 1 John 4, verse 7. Now listen to the apostle as he writes. 
Beloved, that's us. That's you. That's me. Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. We've come out of the briar patch. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 11 Phil's paraphrase would sound like this. If God has loved you and you have received that love, now you go back into the briar patch. If he brought you out, now you go back in and you love others. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. There's God's plan. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Listen close. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, here's the deal. Let's go back to those slides, and we're going to do them in kind of reverse order. So, Chelsea, would you put the last nine up? Here they are. You cannot ignore these and embrace the first eight. Go ahead and put those first eight back up. You cannot embrace these and ignore the last nine and say that you love God. This is what the Apostle John would say. If you try that, you're a liar. I'm not saying that. The Bible is. If you try it that way, you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. So if you have been brought out of the briar patch and you have experienced this new life in Christ, then you were born again to go back into the briar patch and love other people and bring them out to share with them the love that you have received and then go back into the briar patch where it's sticky, where it is thorny, where it is prickly, where it is difficult and oftentimes painful, and you bring other people out. Even in the midst of brokenness and broken relationships, you go back in and you bring other people out. And all you have to do is demonstrate the love that God has poured out on you. You show other people the same love that you've already received. That's the way it's supposed to work. It's hard. Briar patch living is hard, yet it's what we were called for. We were born and bred for it. We were born again unto it. And we have to love other people. As I was studying all of this, I stumbled across something that I had never really set up housekeeping with in Scripture before. I'd never really paid close attention to this. And I want to show it to you. I found it three times. The first two in the book of Romans. So let's go back there. Romans chapter 2. There's a 
statement, a phrase in the verses that we're about to read that I really want you to grab hold of. We're going to do something that we seldom do today because I want you to see this for yourself. I'm encouraging you to open your Bibles, but I know that some people don't have Bibles with them, so we're going to project this up on the screen, and that way you'll be able to see it for yourself. So here we go. Romans chapter 2, verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to, here it is, my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. It's that term, my gospel, that I really want you to grab hold of. Now, let me show you the other two places in Scripture where it shows up. The second one, still in the book of Romans, but let's go to the 16th chapter. Romans 16, starting in verse 25. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. It shows up again, my gospel. Chelsea, let's go back to that. There it is, my gospel. One more time. This one found in the book of 2 Timothy, just one verse, chapter 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Now here's the curiosity of all of that. If you have studied the Bible much, and you've gotten into the New Testament, you know that the first four books are known as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But now, all of a sudden, the Apostle Paul is speaking of another gospel. He refers to it as his gospel. Paul is the one that wrote the book of Romans and the book of 2 Timothy. And in both of those places, he talks about his gospel. Well, that's confusing, confounding, almost disturbing if we stop and think about it, because we know of the four gospels, and now Paul's talking about a fifth one, his gospel. If we really want to understand it, we have to pick apart that term, gospel. The term gospel means good news. That's what it actually means. So when Paul is talking about his gospel, he is talking about the good news of his life. That's what he's talking about. And if you put together all of the writings, all of the teachings of Paul, you're going to find out that the good news of his life, his gospel, is Jesus. That's his gospel. It isn't something that the Lord revealed to him. It is what God has done in his life that has transformed him into a new person. And he's just telling the story. That's his gospel, his good news. Now, here's what we do with that. We ask ourselves what our gospel is. What's the story of our life? What's the message that we share with those that we come in contact with? For some people, the message of their life, what they might even perceive as their gospel, is anger or disappointment 
or discouragement or depression or illness or frustration. That's what they talk about all the time. Those are the words that come off of their lips and off of their tongue all the time. That's the story of their life. And even though they might think it's their gospel, it isn't. It's just a story. We can even dress that up a little bit. For some people, the message of their life is their occupation. For other people, it might be their possessions. It might be the things that they have achieved. It might be the trophies that they have found throughout life. It might even be relationships, some of them good and some of them bad. Those are the things they talk about all the time. That is not the gospel. That's the story of your life. Your gospel has to be the message of Jesus as he has changed you. And we're all supposed to have one. If you're a child of God, you have a gospel. How are you sharing it? If you are a born-again believer of Jesus Christ, you have a gospel. You have the good news that is to be shared. How are you sharing it? Well, there are at least five things that come into play as we figure out what our gospel is. The first one is this. What was your life like before Christ? Who are you now because of Christ? And in the telling of your gospel, you have to be able to put this in. I stand today with my past redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I am forgiven and I stand before God as a forgiven child of His. That's part of your gospel. And please, in the name of all that is holy, include within your gospel the longing that you have to stand before Him face to face. Those are the five parts, or at least five parts, of your gospel that you can put together and share with other people. Romans chapter 12 actually gives us some keys to helping refine and define our gospel. Those are those 17 things that we looked at. Here they are for you one more time, the first eight up on the screen. Those eight things help you talk about who you are in Christ, what your relationship with God is like today and how you love him. The next nine will help you evaluate how you're doing in loving other people. I want to give you a little challenge this morning, and it's a tough one. It's, it's briar patch kind of stuff. I want to challenge you to evaluate yourself against all 17 of these things. 1 through 17. So you can write them down. You don't even have to. They're right there in your Bible. You can just go through and underline each one of the 17 things. And then on a scale of 1 to 10, ask yourself how you're doing. I spent some time doing this this past week sitting at my desk. It was kind of painful. I got cut up a little bit, torn up a little bit, realizing that I need to work on certain parts of it. And if you arrive at that same place in the first eight, there's actually a beautiful place to help you with it. Look at number six, be constant in prayer. If you understand that you're struggling to have energy in your faith, you start praying about it. If you're not fervent in spirit, if you're not dedicated and stalwart in spirit, you start praying about it. If you're struggling to serve the Lord or rejoice in hope or be patient in tribulation or to contribute to the needs of the saints or even to seek to show hospitality, if you're not good at those things, you pray about them and you be constant in it until God leads you to a place that you're able to now demonstrate the love that you have received. Those are going to come fairly easy. These next nine are a little more difficult. When you start praying constantly about rejoicing with those who rejoice, even when maybe you don't have reason to yourself, or when you start praying about living in harmony with another person 
that you know you have a broken relationship with. This gets hard. This is briar patch living. Or when you start praying that, that you won't be wise in your own sight, you'll stop complimenting yourselves and let your actions speak for themselves. Or when you start getting into number 16, boy, this is hard stuff. When you get into that place and you're praying constantly that God will help you through it, your gospel will begin to materialize. And the good news of Jesus Christ will be shared with other people. These are just ways to do this. So take each one of them and put a scale of 1 to 10 next to it. 1 being not very good, 10 being I got it worked out. And then between those, you put all the other numbers and you just circle where you're at. And then you start praying that it increases. This is a litmus test for defining your gospel. And it'll help. It'll help. And it will help you demonstrate to those that God has placed you around the love that you have received from Him. What it will really do is help you realize that the Lord called you out of the briar patch and then He sent you back in. You were born and bred in it and then you were born again for it. So you get back in there and you do what you need to do. The worship team's on their way up as they come. I want to leave you with just a quote from Shane Wheeler, the book that I was reading earlier in the week. This is pretty good stuff. Take a look. Jesus meets people in their briar patches. He loves and guides them as they travel through the thorny thickets. He binds up their scrapes, scratches, and stinging wounds, and he invites you to join others on their healing journey through the sharp brambles. You were born and bred in the briar patch, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you were born again to go back into it and love others and help lead them out. 1 John chapter 4.